Welcome back. Episode five, Signals from the Deep. And a lot has happened since episode four. The Seattle Kraken not only are in the playoffs, they take the first round series against a defending Stanley Cup champion, Colorado Avalanche. The first time a team in the National Hockey League has won their first playoff series against the defending Cup champs. That's a heck of a feather to have in your cap. And now into the second round against the Dallas Stars. And by the time we're recording this, the series is 1-1. Coming back home, coming back to Seattle, coming back to Climate Pledge Arena in front of the best fans in all of hockey. So a lot of exciting times. But what is equally exciting is we got a heck of a guest on episode five today. And we're going to delve into this guy's past, uh, his present, and future. Uh, JT Brown, a Burnsville... Minnesota native, played seven long years in the National Hockey League, 365 games played, a NCAA national champion with the University of Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs. He is in his second year as your Seattle Kraken in-game analyst. And man, oh man, do I have a tough time keeping up with his style. Everybody, welcome in JT Brown. JT, thanks for coming on, buddy. Oh, thanks for having me. My question is why it took five. <laughs> I mean, could have got me on number two or three or, you know, I'm just messing with you. But thanks. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's great. Great. Uh, Everyone's very excited. And thanks for taking some time uh, to join us today. I think the best place to start is, as I've kind of said with other and asked of other guests, everybody has an introduction to hockey. Um, What was yours? You know, for me, I think uh, just growing up in Minnesota is the first thing and obviously going out on the, the ponds and playing on the frozen ice. I mean, that's really how the love of hockey got started. Obviously, I think it's a little bit easier starting out in uh, Minnesota. That's just the sport. So for me, it was a lot of my friends in the neighborhood, their parents had already, you know, been living in Minnesota. They had gone through the hockey, their mm-hmm. hockey parents. And, uh, you know, I wanted to play what everybody else was playing. Yeah. And, you know, in the wintertime, especially that was, you know, just walking down to the local park and they would have the rink flooded and we would just go play all day after school. And I mean, that just, again, solidified the the love of the game for me. Do you think that that's even more special than it already is to be able to play on the outdoor rinks? Because like growing up in Chicago for me, I mean, we had a pond in the back, never really froze it, never really played outdoors. Like I feel like the more into the future we get, I feel like playing outdoors is kind of almost a thing of the past. Is that kind of something you look back and you're nostalgic of? Well, it's a little bit of both, I think, because you'll see every now and then mm-hmm. on Instagram or, you know, Twitter that somebody posts this like epic backyard yeah. where they, I mean, I don't know how much they had to spend to, to make that backyard rink. Whereas, you know, obviously in Minnesota, there's just so many different, whether it's a pond, like you said, in the backyard or the, the park has its own little rink that they'll set up with a warming house outside. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just think of how much time we spent outside I don't know if they're necessarily doing that anymore. Um, you know, even down to just your your local practices would be, yeah, you'd have a couple of them inside at the uh, local rink, but you'd probably have one to two of them uh, a week, every other week outside. Yeah. And, you know, those were uh, days where I definitely did not want to go to practice. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the just the, the fun throwing the sticks in the middle yeah. and, you know, just getting the whole neighborhood together and just playing those games. Uh, you definitely look back at, you know, some of the best times. And you know, like I said earlier, just that's how the love of the game kind of uh, unfolded for myself. Yeah. And your career, uh, let's just take everybody through it. 
Rosemount High School. You were a standout there, put up like almost three points a game in a couple of years there. So that was not bad. All then, right. then on to Waterloo to play for the Waterloo Blackhawks. 113 points in 96 games played, playing under P.K. O'Hanley and having an incredible run there. Two years at the University of Minnesota Duluth, 84 points in 81 games. I'll tell you what, folks, to put up over a point a game in college hockey is tough, especially in that division. So, I mean, hey, this goes to show your ability. National champion, you were the tournament MVP with the Minnesota Duluth Bulldogs that year. And then you went on to play eight years, seven years, excuse me, in the National Hockey League um, after being undrafted. Tampa Bay Lightning, Anaheim Ducks, Minnesota Wild, 72 points in your career, and then you finished up playing in Sweden. Um, when you look back on your career, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff there, some incredible achievements. Um, anything stand out for you, either in your younger years or you know junior years, or eventually whenever you got to the to the league? You know, I think uh, you know every step of the way has you know its moments, and you know if you look back at the high school time, I mean, it's probably one of the most fun times I've had you know playing hockey, and that's with the group of kids that uh you know i had played from mites all the way up to you know to high school and obviously mm -hmm. going through had an opportunity to leave to go to a another high school or a private school and or maybe even go play um you know juniors at uh, my last year but you know for me it was it was very important to just keep playing with my my friends that i had grown up with you know your lifelong friends through that and obviously juniors was uh <laughs> A little bit of a it's, a, it's kind of a wake up call. I mean, you yeah. know, as well, obviously coming from, uh, you know, going from high school to now you're in the, the USHL and you're playing against some really tough competition. You're away from home, you know, yeah. kind of just the growing up period of uh, trying to figure that out in the USHL and obviously college. I mean, winning a national championship was uh, very special. Um, obviously, that's the only time I've ever won mm -hmm. at the you know, whatever the highest level at that time that I'd play it at, yeah. um, you know, be able to win and to be the last one standing is it's an accomplishment. But uh, I think even more so too the the second year when we didn't win, it kind of just showed you how hard it is to win mm -hmm. in this game and that it, nothing is you can't take anything for granted. You know, no matter how good your team is or I mean, we've seen it even in the NHL. It doesn't matter once you get into the playoffs, yeah. you know, especially in the college ranks where it's you got one shot. You got one game. If you're not the better team that night, you're going home. So, you know, a lot of uh, Estelle, the growing up process. And again, like I said, you can't get away with winning. You know, I always will remember uh, the overtime win versus Michigan. Sorry if there's any Michigan fans <laughs> listening to this. Uh, but no, I mean, obviously great times. And then obviously going into the pro ranks. I mean, you just meet so many different people from so many different places. And, you know, being able to play in a Stanley Cup final, uh, that's got to take the cake. Obviously, you can look at your first point, your first goal, uh, first game in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, to make it to the end, again, shows just how hard it is to get to that point. And then to win, it's even harder, right? So <laughs> right. it's just kind of the process of going through. And for me, I've had, you know, there's no regrets when you look back at the career. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's only one, one winner each year, right? Yeah. There's one team that can win it all. And you know, I think I've, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I've got to meet a bunch of great people and obviously, you know, doing what I've done throughout my career has got me to where I am now. So I mean, it's been, uh, it's been one heck of a, a career for myself and yeah. we're on to the next chapter. You got that right. Uh, just a couple of, uh, more in-depth questions, uh, in Waterloo played for PK O'Hanley. Uh, I oh, played yeah. for PK as well. Uh, a hard nosed coach, 
uh, pulls no punches. It was, it was always wanted to ask you, uh, was that a type of coach, regardless of whether it was PK Hanley or, you know, coach X or Y or Z with the player that you were and kind of your psychology and mindset and mentality, did you like a coach that was on you that was yelling at you that was, that was constantly pushing you? Or did you like a guy that was maybe a little bit more, you know, pat on the back, let's go for, you know, type of stuff. You know, I think there's there's definitely a time and a place for both, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think for myself, especially with the path that I, you know, that I took, obviously not drafted, kind of moving through, didn't have a college scholarship when I was uh, going through in Waterloo. It was kind of that push that I, I needed. I also needed to grow up. You needed to be, you need to figure out what it's like outside of high school when, you know, again, when you're playing for your city and you have maybe one of the better players on the team, but now there's a lot of, all those players were the best player on their team at one point, and now they're coming together into this league, and, you know, to have a coach keep pushing you, and, you know, sure, there's times where, you know, you, you probably didn't take it the right way, but yeah. I think looking back on it, you know, I definitely thought that that was kind of a real pinnacle moment for me, you know, going through that to get to where I wanted to go, to keep pushing myself along the way, and then, you know, I've had coaches where, it's not necessarily they, they yell at you or, you know, they want to sit down and have that conversation and just talk to you about different things. And it works. I think it depends. I think that's all on coaching too. I think as a coach, you have to understand your players. You got to be able to get into their mindset and mm-hmm. not every player is the same. You might be different than me. Yeah. I'm going to be different from the next person down the row. Like at the end of the day, you got to figure out what each player needs and what is going to get the best out of them. And I think there are, plenty of times in situations where you got to be straight nosed hard on you know whatever this rule whether it's hey you missed the four check now we got to put you on video we got to do all of that or you know there's times where hey let's pull them back let's go let's do a one-on-one video yeah. session let's talk about this you know just coach right. and i versus you know in front of everybody else so yeah. i don't think there's a problem with either uh, i think it's all just the way that each player and that's on the coach right to figure that out yeah yeah you play in your hometown minnesota uh, before we delve into that, uh, you played in some pretty warm climates in Tampa oh, yeah. and Anaheim. Yes. Uh, I'm going to ask you the tough question of which you liked more or just what was it like playing hockey where, you know, there are days where you're going to the rink in flip-flops and shorts for practice. That's pretty much every day, right? Like, uh, <laughs> obviously, I would say it's Tampa. Yeah. Um, you know, just spent the majority of my career there. Yeah. Uh, it was a shorter stint in Anaheim. I enjoyed, you know, being in the Cali sunshine as well. But uh I think the best part for me is I did not have to be in Florida during the, the summer times when it's yeah. uh, very sticky. Can't go out to the mailbox without <laughs> leaking sweat. So skipped those months and uh, went back to Minnesota. But uh, definitely enjoyed uh, playing in Tampa, especially too. Yeah. Obviously, they gave the, the first opportunity in the NHL and kind of got my professional career started. So obviously, I always will have you know a special place for Tampa. You play for the Minnesota Wild. That's got to be the dream of every Minnesotan growing up, and and hockey is religion in Minnesota. Um, what was that like being able to have the opportunity to play for your team and and represent them, having grown up probably wanting to do that your whole life? Oh, that was it was cool. I think uh, when I did it was probably the best time too. Uh, you know, I think I don't know if I'd have been ready at the the pro level uh, to go right into mm-hmm. playing for my hometown, but I think obviously yeah. getting uh, those years in Tampa, the time in Anaheim, uh, to be able to get used to the pro game, get used to the differences, and you know, also the, just the demands, right? Like right. if you're at your hometown, not that it's always bad, but you got friends like, hey, can we get this? Can we get that? And you're kind of getting pulled yeah. all over. But I feel like as I got older, I got more familiar with the game and mature. I'm like 
okay, yeah, well, we got it. Well, guess what? There's a ticket master too. They got, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to, you got every once in a while, you got to go get, uh, you know, obviously family and friends yeah, and they get right. to the first game in Minnesota. I'm right. like, there's 41 <laughs> home games. Like, yeah. you know, like at the end of the day, if Lexi's not going to the game, sure, I mm-hmm. think can hand you some tickets, but. Other than that, you might have to go on Ticketmaster. I'm yeah. going to tell you that right now. It might be a little harder in year one. Oh, that's awesome. And then your final year of pro hockey over in Sweden. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome. Um, I think the only the only downside was uh, obviously it was still during uh, COVID mm-hmm. and not being able to experience fully what their fandom is. Obviously, I've been able to see videos of it. I uh, still see some of uh, you know what's going on over there right now and that's the one thing I missed. I mean, when you think of the soccer atmosphere, whether it's the, the cheering, the standing, Mm -hmm. you know, that section or that kind of mentality in the stands is during the hockey game, which we don't see over here. Um, when it comes to the games, obviously there's great fans and they're loud. I think it's just a, a different level, maybe even a more intimate level and being able to go over there and kind of experience that was especially at the end when we got towards the playoffs and they started allowing some more fans in it was uh, pretty special but i think for me awesome time going over the player the hockey was great um but also i think the the other one of the other big things was just being able to go into another culture Mm -hmm. right like go into a different country live there obviously don't speak the language but you know to kind of be able to communicate get to meet people from another place as well become friends and then obviously so the hockey was fantastic the people were great the city i lived in was uh was awesome and you know i just thought you know at that point i was going to move on to the second uh part of my career and Mm -hmm. you know thankfully seattle kraken came calling and you know obviously we we know what the future held afterwards but you know for myself it was a, a real good opportunity to say hey you know what maybe i can play a couple more years in Europe and we'll see if you know I'll go there by myself the first year and then mm-hmm. maybe the next year we bring uh, the kids and uh, Lexi over and we kind of do a couple years in Europe I thought it would have been awesome that was the original plan mm-hmm. going over there and things changed though yeah right that you got plan a until here comes plan b um, inspiration is always something that is uh, something I'm very passionate about uh, what inspires people to do what they do or different role models or inspirations in their life. Uh, your dad, Ted Brown, uh, played at North Carolina State. It was a 1979 first-round draft pick uh, by the Minnesota Vikings in the NFL draft, 16th overall. Ended up playing 104 games in the National Football League, over 4,500 yards as a running back. What was his influence on you? Well, I mean, I think uh, just starting off, obviously, you know, having him be a professional athlete, uh, it definitely pushed me to want to be a, uh, an athlete as well. And I think the best part, though, for me and, you know, why and you pick hockey when my dad played in the NFL, like, why didn't mm-hmm. you want to play that sport? And I think for me, it was just. I don't want to say that he couldn't teach me when it came to hockey, but he technically didn't know. I mean, he's from North Carolina at the time. He mm-hmm. didn't really play. He didn't skate, still doesn't skate very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's coached me in other sports. And at the same time, I just sometimes, you know, maybe even though he has the right things to say, it, coming from your dad, sometimes you're like, man, I don't want to hear that. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah. playing hockey was just one of those things that, I was able to continue to just keep pushing and be myself and not have to be necessarily Ted Brown's kid playing mm-hmm. football again. I kind of wanted to just push away from that. And again, for me, it was awesome because he didn't push me to play, whether it was baseball, which was a sport he played, obviously uh, football as well. And none of the sports he pushed me to go into. So for me, you know, to be able to one, have that 
drive to get to where you know my dad got to but then at the same time i'm like he did he supports me playing hockey over you know the sport that he played growing up or and that he made, was able to make a living yeah. off of so i think that was a, a kind of a, a real good spot for myself and mm-hmm. wanting to play hockey is you know just having that support even though it wasn't it wasn't the sport he picked i'm sure you know as uh as he was growing up he's like man that'd be great if my yeah. son if he followed in my footsteps and you know played in the fo- national football league as well but mm-hmm. you know for me there was no push and i i've told the story a couple times and then when i finally decided to pick hockey as my first sport like this is what i want to do it was in high school and up until then you played soccer you played baseball mm-hmm. you know you played every sport you could possibly have time for right um I kind of told him like hey dad and like we got to talk like I I don't think I'm gonna play football anymore I'm done I want to focus on hockey and he just looked at me he's like yeah I know I'm like what Mm. like how how do you know how do you know this And he's like well I've known since you're about five years old when we have a football practice at seven o'clock in the morning I'm waking you up like hey you got to get up it's it's time to go to practice but if it was a hockey practice an hour earlier at six in the morning because obviously when you're younger you have the right. earlier ice times right. he goes you were already awake waking me up to say hey dad we got to go to hockey practice he's like i knew from the jump that hockey was the sport that you were going to end up choosing and that you wanted to play so obviously he outsmarted me on that <laughs> one i thought i was going to have a difficult conversation uh you know with my my pops about that one yeah. but you know again it's just that having that support system obviously you know with the you know how much it takes to just play the sport and to to be at practice and get yourself to point a to point b to tournament this and it takes it takes a lot obviously whether you know family friends bringing you to practice carpooling together you know it takes like a village to be able to bring everybody together so obviously having that support from you know my dad my mom obviously Mm -hmm. siblings as well you know throughout playing was really important to me yeah i know family is number one you know, especially when it comes to that. I mean, you're right. I mean, it it absolutely does take a village and going on the road for tournaments and waking up early, like you said, and, you know, doing all those different things. I mean, that is, uh, that is of utmost importance if you want to take the next step. And, you know, certainly you've, you had an incredible career and, you know, I know that you give a lot of that credit to a lot of the people that were around you. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it does take, it's, I just think back on all the times where, you know, Hey, my family's taken, you know, the neighborhood kids to the game and then Mm -hmm. the next game, you know, it's their parents were taking them through. And I think that just being able to have that support all the way around is, is fantastic. And, you know, the other thing I will say that's uh, for as far as inspiration goes is like, I remember one thing my dad always told me was play hard, play smart and play together. Mm-hmm. Cause it doesn't matter what, uh, doesn't matter what sport you're playing. could be baseball, could be hockey, football, but it still applies. Right. Play smart. You gotta know what you're doing. You gotta play together. You gotta play as a team. But at the end of the day, he never judged me on how many points I got in a game never had a conversation about hey having hey you had a bad game you were dash four why'd you make this pass why'd you do this he could sit there and tell me how hard i worked it's like i can look at that and see in any sport you're playing how much effort you gave and at the end of the day i'm like so you look at how my game evolved and how i played the game of hockey it was always going it was always 100 percent going i'm like because that was instilled for me you gotta work hard no matter what, because that's not what I'm going to get yelled at for in the car. It's not going to be because 
man, you didn't have any points tonight. It was going to be because you didn't give a hundred percent effort out there on the ice. And again, when we talk about how much time it took to get you to the rink, to go to practices, to go to this tournament, the money that I was spending, he's like, if you're not going to work hard, then why are we doing it? Yeah. So plenty of different inspirations growing up. And, and again, you know, I wouldn't be here without all of those people, whether it's coaches, family, friends, and, you know, obviously he's thankful for that. Speaking of coaches, is there one coach that you look back in your career and you're like, yeah, that guy had a pretty profound effect on me as a player? Yeah, I mean, I think it would, I'd have to pick uh, Rick Sainte. He was my coach all the way from as young as I could go. And we started mm-hmm. actually playing games until right before then high school. Obviously, we had the, the high school coach so all the way up until the Bantam time, you know, just the amount of time and how much learning and growth uh, you were able to go from them. Actually, might not get happy with me for saying this, but I still remember. <laughs> Quote to the day, he's like, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And I'm like, I don't know if this is a great, uh, like, you can't be telling him that. But at the same time, he's like, hey, you got to do what you got to do to get the edge. And I'm like, you know what? All right, we're going to go out there every single game. We're going to do whatever we have to do to win because we're going to win. So, yeah, that, that one always sticks to me. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Yeah, especially when it comes to face-offs, right? Exactly. Even yeah. if you're not cheating on the face-off, yeah. uh, you're probably not going to win it. So. <laughs> You, you went from being um, a prolific scorer uh, at the high school level, junior level, college level, um, and then you get into the National Hockey League, and it's a little bit of a different role for you. I've always been interested in guys that have great careers. They're point guys. You're the best guy. And then you get to the NHL, and everyone's really, really good. So was there a time in your career where you're like, okay, maybe I'm not going to be a guy that scores 40 goals like I maybe did back in junior and I got to kind of find a little bit more of a niche role. Although, as you said earlier, to your credit, the work ethic was something that was always there for you. But was there a moment where you're like, okay, maybe I have to adjust or you know look at my game a little bit differently? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the question I posed to myself was, do you want to play in the National Hockey League? Well, the answer was obviously yes. And there can only be so many players playing in the top six. That's just a numbers game. You've, you look at who they have already in position, who's in the roster coming up. Well, what can I do to separate myself from the next person? And what does your team need? What type of role does your team need? Where do I fit? Now, I could have tried to continue to, to score and played a, a different game. Maybe it wouldn't have worked out. I don't know. Like you said, there's a everyone is a fantastic player in the NHL. They They've all were a scorer at some point. They were doing something that nobody else could do. But for me, it just kind of sunk in that when I was with Tampa, I'm like, you know what? I can, I can, I can find my role here, Mm -hmm. play hard, hit everything that moves, drop the gloves, uh, occasionally as well. Um, which I enjoyed doing anyway. So it's a fury. Yeah. So that was, that was always the fun part, but it was just kind of just, you know, a honest conversation with yourself. And I think you you have to go through that. You have to be able to be honest with yourself. Where are you? Where do you want to be? Well, for me, I wanted to be in the national hockey league. I didn't want to go back down to the American hockey league, maybe play a couple more years because I had a pretty decent first year outside of an injury in the American hockey league as well. And, but for me, that wasn't the goal. The goal is to do whatever it takes to play in the National Hockey League. And, you know, I was able to make a pretty good career out of doing that. So for me, yeah, everybody wants to be the one to score that uh, OT thriller, the the game-winning goal. But, you know, for myself, I, I found the role and I, I I just took it over. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to play. And it worked out. And that is 
I think you talk about maturity like that to me speaks of absolute maturity because you have to completely kind of change not, not not change your game but just accept something a little bit differently and knowing that there are roles on a team and you know there are some guys that aren't willing to do that right and you yeah. said you kind of made that decision if I want to play in the National Hockey League I got to play a certain way and there are some guys that don't make that realization and they phase out or they never make it well it's tough right you go from playing 18 19 20 minutes a, a night and and now you're hitting eight 10 on a good day so again you could get upset with that how do you what motivates you mm-hmm. what makes you want to be in the national hockey do you want to be do do i want my stick in you know the local store so that people can go buy it like sure that would have been great but for me the end goal was to play i wanted to be in the national hockey i want to be able to provide for my family uh, you know obviously at the beginning i didn't have a family but yeah. one day be able to to provide for a family and to be able to do what i love again because you got to remember it's still a game yeah it's a great game but at the end of the day it was a game so for me it was like what can I do to play as long as I possibly can and then also to get paid doing it (laughs) getting paid doing what you love uh nothing uh, nothing better than that quickly you mentioned the fisticuffs and that you you enjoyed the you enjoyed throwing some uh, some skin at some other guys every now and again. Was there a, a most memorable fight that you had? And then aside from that, what's going through your mind? Now, again, there's a lot of different situations. Your teammate gets hit in a bad way. You got to go stand up for him. There's a guy you just don't like. You're going back and forth. You're trying to keep them honest, not taking liberties on your players. But I think for you, like, how would you describe your mindset when you're in a fight? Well, for the most part, I never did the, hey, well, actually, there's a couple off the face off, but you know, when he's like, Hey, we're going to fight today. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I, I don't, I need the wire to cross first. <laughs> and usually that was either I hit somebody and they yeah. took exception to that, or they hit somebody on our team. And I'm like, all right, you know what? That's it. No more of that. We're going to defend our teammate here. Mm-hmm. So never really had those, like just, I would say stage, but there's been a couple off yeah. the, the rip. Honestly, the, the one that stands out the most, actually, there's probably two. First would be, uh, I fought Radko Gudis, very good friend of mine. Oh man. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's a, especially he was, he's a pretty tough customer as yeah. well. Um, yeah. but he threw a body punch, actually threw quite a few body punches cause we knew each other. Like nobody was trying to actually hurt the other person. Like <laughs> right. we didn't really want to punch each other, but we both kind of looked at each other beforehand and we're like, Hey, I know it's your job. It's my job too. Let's, we got to do it. Yeah. We got to fight. And he hit me with a body punch and like I was sucking wind <laughs> and now I like it. Then I go back and I watch boxing or you watch MMA and somebody gets hit in the stomach or the liver and you're like, okay, I've felt, you know, somewhat of that, not even to that level. Right. And it, it dropped me to a knee. I went straight down on a knee. I was like, Oh my God. Okay. This is uh, this is not good. And he was doing that as the friendly <laughs> side, right? Like not to go at the face. He was throwing body punches. So right. definitely uh, took the L on that one. Um, but then there's a couple of them where I just have fought some very tall individuals way outside of uh, my division or class. But, hey, you know what? Sometimes when the wires cross, they cross. And I'm <laughs> I'm stringing them out. We're going like, you know, arm across at the shoulder and yeah. holding on to shoulder pads. And I go to throw a right punch. And I realize that I am still like three inches away from his face. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. How are we going to, you know, and again, it's not always about winning the fights. I probably didn't win majority of my fights, but it's all about uh, being willing to do it and, you know, setting the tone 
obviously sometimes you need a game change some things aren't going your way all right well i'm gonna go lay a hit they don't like it all right we drop the gloves and now that builds the momentum for the team but i think when i look at uh, some of the fights yeah definitely the one where i fought you know a really good friend of mine and then uh where if i think he was six seven uh ben harper oh yeah he's, uh, i think he's at six seven i'm only five ten so yeah. man oh man i think he's, i'm pretty sure we'd have to might have to double check that yeah. uh but i'm pretty sure he's six foot seven man, and it was man. like Yep, you are still so far away from like you are not <laughs> going to be step able, ladder, right? You're not going to be able there. to hit him. So hold on, dodge <laughs> a little bit, grab both arms. All right, pat him on the back. All yeah. right, good fight. We're good. I'll take my five and we move on. <laughs> well, look, I mean, that's you had an incredible career, uh, not just to make it to the National Hockey League, but to play over 300 games, to have scored, to have fought, to have done a little bit of everything and been a great teammate along the way. Seriously, that's a, it's a heck of a career. So thank you. Congratulations. Um, and then life after playing. Did you always know you wanted to be in the broadcasting sphere? No, no, I, I did not. Um, I kind of, I mean, I've, I've streamed video games on Twitch, so mm-hmm. I've kind of had a somewhat, obviously being a player, you do interviews all the time, whether on camera or off camera. So I feel like there's somewhat of a, a comfort zone there but uh you know and obviously when got the call and you know hey would this be something you're you'd be willing to retire and you know go into the next chapter I, you know i was like wow this i never really thought of doing and broadcast at all but i think what sold me obviously we did a john and i did a uh, a mock game i was still in sweden he's in carolina we want to see if it works and it was fun like mm-hmm. it was so much fun to be able to call a game and obviously didn't know a whole lot got a crash course with uh ross 24 hours prior <laughs> of you know what to do what not to do and i still remember one of the first things he says like uh, don't use the nicknames you know he obviously used their name the real name and i'm like okay well we get to the game because i didn't want to cheat and do the although if you're not cheating you're not trying yeah just kidding yeah, there you uh, go but <laughs> I didn't want to see, so I looked at the game and it's Carolina versus Tampa. And I'm like, so you give me the one game <laughs> that I, like, I know everyone on their team and I only know them by nickname. So you, I can't say Andre Vasilevsky. Like, I just say Vazzy. Yeah. Like, I just, it's getting that switch. So we were doing the mock, you know, kind of just a test to see if it would, if it would work out, if mm-hmm. they wanted to extend the contract or however, you know, the back end works. They had to do their side of it but i'm like man you guys give me the mock game and tell me not to use <laughs> nicknames but it's with the team that i played for yeah. now i get why they did it because comfortable with their team kind of their systems and right. how do you break that down right. but uh you know i i had a lot of fun obviously knew there was a lot to learn mm-hmm. still is a lot to learn obviously getting to work with uh john and now uh edzo as well you know it's been a fantastic second year and we just keep taking strides forward so again i didn't think it was something i I didn't plan for it uh obviously in school didn't take any broadcasting uh classes but you know from the jump i realized how fun this could be and to be able to talk about hockey and and you like working with john or i like being part of this organization and what the organization stands for and for me that was enough to make the jump obviously i never called a real game didn't know what a real game was going to be like only knew about calling off of uh my computer monitor and you know being in completely different time zones so Mm -hmm. i kind of just said you know what we're gonna jump we're gonna jump feet first we're gonna go all in on this and obviously just be a sponge be open to listen be open for you know whether it's criticism whether it's you know hey you're doing this good you know take that and and keep running with it so for me again like i said 
don't know if it was like, you know, I didn't say, hey, I had a dream to be on the broadcast team, but I'm sure glad that, uh, you know, the opportunity came and also the opportunity that for me to, to just jump in because I could have easily said, yeah, I don't know. I, okay. I, this is something new. I've never done it. Mm-hmm. There's obviously nerves or, you know, scared to completely shift from you've been playing hockey from two years old to the day I retired, which I actually don't remember how old I was exactly. Because technically, you know, I know the years wise, we got mm-hmm. two years and 32 is 30, but I might've been long 30, time, you know, whatever. Long time. I don't do numbers. We, more than most. Yes, more exactly. Than most. It's been a long, 28 years of <laughs> hockey and now you're switching, right? Yeah. I've never been a numbers guy, mm-hmm. but 28 years and now you're jumping into something. You have no idea what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I do know hockey though. Yeah. And that's what I try to lean on, right? Yeah. Try to lean on those experiences. Yeah. Did the gaming and streaming help in any way just as far as maybe now i know you're not directly i mean you're on camera but it's not like that's the only thing you're doing where at least you're gaming you're playing a game but like did that help at all i think it did i think uh one you know it was able to show them you know being on camera talking to you know whether or not it was fans or people and trying to hold that conversation whether you can be comfortable in that situation it's not the exact same Mm -hmm. because obviously if it was then i wouldn't be you know first game i'm like man I'm nervous. Like what's, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. How is this going to go? Yeah. But even now, I mean, I think there's definitely things that, uh, you know, you had to work on, you had to improve on, but I think it does help showing that you can be on camera. Obviously they can look at any interview as well, talking about hockey, but I think that also just shows that you can, you can talk about anything. You can continue a conversation. You can, like I said, be comfortable doing multiple things. You got to multitask. That's the other thing that I found out that was really hard and weird was having somebody talk into your ear while you were trying to talk about whatever and not lose your focus of what you were saying that was probably the hardest thing like right off the rip that uh, you yeah. wouldn't think is that hard because obviously everybody got the earpiece in you got them counting you down or telling you what's next but like how do you not lose your next train of thought <laughs> or like what you were trying to say when right. You got a little sound going in. Or telling ear. you what's coming next when you're still finishing about what you're talking about yes, now. Yeah. So I get it. It's, it's not, it wasn't easy, you know, but I guess for me, it was just, you know, being dedicated to put that same work ethic in that I played with hockey to this new venture and to this new opportunity. And, you know, I'm definitely, I believe in myself and I believe that, uh, you know, if I put the work in, you know, I'll be successful. And how about any advice for either young broadcasters that are aspiring to make it to the National Hockey League level, or maybe even if there are some former players or players that are on hole 17 of their career mm-hmm. and they want to get into it, is there any advice that you'd give to them as far as things that you've learned in your early broadcasting career to this point? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the number one thing is what... Uh, John told me, you know, when I'm getting ready to, or starting, we're getting ready to do the first year. And he just said, be yourself. The people will know if you're putting on a persona for the game or for whatever you're calling, like just go in there and be yourself. And I think that it shows. And I think that shows with the chemistry that John and Edzo and I have on air. I don't know half of what they're talking about and I don't (laughs) pretend to know. Like, were they, I remember, was it the, the Love Boat TV show? And they're talking <laughs> about character of this. And they asked me if I know, or it was wrestling night in, uh, where were we, Calgary? And they're naming wrestlers from the 70s and 80s. I'm like, <laughs> I, guys, I do not know 
Um, so no, I just think it, it's definitely, uh, you know, that's the fun part about it. And mm-hmm. I just go out there and you just got to be yourself. They are them. They're not trying to be anybody outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would know too, right? Yeah. Like you get to see your dad and that's the same person. Yeah. That's on air as, you know, when we're sitting there in the stands watching same thing with John, when we're on air, that's the same John that we go sit in the stands and we watch practice or we're yeah. going out to dinner, you know, you're seeing that exact same person. So for me, it was, that was the best uh, thing for myself. Obviously there's been great color analysts, but he's like, don't try to be them, be yourself. Yeah. You talk about working with Johnny and with Edzo, uh, you touched on it a little bit, but, uh, how would you summarize working with them um, and the type of people that they are? There's a huge grin on JT's face right now, and I feel like anytime you bring up those two guys, that's just kind of the natural reaction. Um, so give us your um, honest opinion on working with them and just them and the impact that they've had on you uh, in your career so far. Well, it's, it's nonstop. Uh, it's fun. Uh, it's organized chaos. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's ever, I mean, again, what you see on air is what you see every single day or we see every single day, whether again, I mean, we hear about the car rides home after a game, like they still will talk about the car rides home at the practice the next day. Like this is literally our conversations every single day. And again, it's been so fun to, to work with both of them and it almost makes it not a job, right? Like, yes, you have requirements to come to the game, which makes it a job, but we're having fun together. We're getting to do something that we love. I still get to talk about the game and, and spread, you know, different, your knowledge or my thoughts on a certain thing. And I think what's the best part is we don't always have to agree. We can have different opinions about a play, a penalty, what have you. But for us, it's all that chemistry and coming back together. And, you know, I think for me, obviously getting the first full year with John, um, you know, to be able to learn from him, watch how he watches practice, watch, you know, what his, or not watch, but look at what his notes look like. Mm-hmm. I'm on volume probably eight of my notes. I'm still trying to figure it out. John's notes do not work for me. If anybody has seen uh, a tweet from John, you know, before the game where he takes yeah. uh, his notebook out, it's got the glasses there, maybe a, a granola bar of some kind, <laughs> uh, his pen, highlighter, full on, and then the video of the thing. If you look at those notes, if you zoom in, I don't know how he can <laughs> even tell what's on the piece of paper. And I'm standing three feet from him. Yeah. But he knows that's his notes. Yeah. That's his process. And again, he's always saying like, my notes might not be good for you. And they're not because I can't read them. Um, <laughs> Need a telescope. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, like, you know, going through that process and trying to learn and again, just being able to take in all information. Then obviously this year, you know, getting to work with Edzo as well, obviously, you know, on the national level. And I personally think he's one of the best, I'm not just saying that mm-hmm. because we're here, but I think he's one of the best, if not the best, you know, in that position. So to be able to continue to see what he does, cause John and I have different roles. He's does play by play. I'm an analyst. Well, now I get to watch one of the best, in my opinion, you know, do the same role, like be an analyst, see what, how he sees the game. And, and again, I think it also just broadens my horizons too, because yes, I played, Edzo played in another era. So he has another viewpoint on something. So we just take as much information as possible. But again, the only word I can think of is fun because it's nonstop action, especially with the, with those two, which you've seen firsthand. <laughs> 
How about being between the benches? What's that? What's that been like being ice level and, and doing your job from the best seat in the house? Cold. <laughs> That's the first word that comes to mind. Uh, it's a little bit colder down at ice level than it is up top. Uh, but no, it, it's it's really cool to be down there, especially I think now because I still know so many players on the ice, and you know whether it's a you know fist bump or the ref comes by and you know he says, "Hey, we've been listening to your game. Like you've been doing good. Keep up the work." And you know, just being able to be on ice level, especially like I said, when you know a lot of people, whether it's an official or you know a player on. Well, I know players on the Seattle Kraken, but I also know players from you know basically every other team as well. So, mm-hmm. kind of getting to see them out there, and uh, you know. Good to see it firsthand, but as far as the the view, I mean, you realize again how fast the game is. Um, when you're up on uh, press row or you're up high, the game moves very slow. And now that can be a good thing, right? Like when you're trying to analyze something, the game's moving slower for you. You kind of can see where the play's developing. Obviously, down there you will every now and then. You know, when players get up on the boards. You can't quite see around them. Some of the sight lines get taken away, but you get a real sense of like how the game is going when you're down at ice level. So it's been, it's been fun. It's definitely, like I said, a little bit uh, colder, but at the same time, no, I, I really enjoy, uh, you know, being down there as well and, you know, getting all three of us together. On so you got to have the longer pants that night or still a little bit shorter, no socks or. Yeah, no, I get, uh, I get crap all the time because I'll be walking down, you know, right in front of the locker room, getting ready to go on the bench and they're like, not wearing socks and i'm like well <laughs> technically i have socks on there like the no-show socks yeah, but right. i have to have a commitment to i don't want to say look good because you can look good without socks but yeah. i like no socks you know a yeah. little bit of ankle but then yeah. that also sometimes fashion local, hurts local. yeah 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 that's the right. see, there's a saying that i'm looking right. fashion hurts yeah. sometimes and you pay the price yeah i'm not uh i just don't plan on wearing socks anytime soon <laughs> Because I also don't wear dress shoes. Mm-hmm. I also committed myself after I retired. I said I, I don't want to wear dress shoes. Where'd anymore. that come from? Uh, I just wore enough dress shoes playing yeah. and uh, traveling around. Like you know, so it's always sneakers of some sort. Uh, and I don't really think dress socks and sneakers are the way for me to go. So right. that's partially why I also don't wear socks. But yeah. I do. I wear the no shells. Yeah. Last question on the uh, being between the benches. Any close calls? The, the face still looks impeccable. But any any close calls with sticks or bodies or pucks flying in there? Oh, there's been a couple, but I, I would say I'm pretty active. They even showed a couple of times, uh, you know, when the puck was or puck or a body or stick is getting ready to go by the benches and they see me move. Of course, they got to put it in slow motion. So <laughs> they get the whole like me turning around, hiding away. But like the sticks, you just got to be aware. I think, you know, the one thing uh, I try not to keep my hands in my pockets because every now and then, you know, you just want to warm up your hands. Yeah. Uh, but then you can't block. So if the stick comes through, I've got a couple words, you know, hit my forearm and I was blocking my head. So I, I definitely blocked it, but, uh, like that'd back be to the, the fighting days, right? Yeah. yeah yes. Yes. Yeah. Pairing, you know, but, uh, <laughs> no, it hasn't been v- extra close. I, I, I've had a bad dream once about that actually when, uh, <laughs> it first kind of, when everything unfolded, like, yeah, we're gonna get you down the bench. And I'm like, yeah. man, I don't really usually remember dreams, but I actually remembered getting hit with the puck. And I'm like, this better not come true. Because if this, if I lose my teeth, because I did, I have not lost a tooth in all of my NHL games. Knock on wood. Oh, well, I'm not playing an NHL game anytime soon. So So I made it through my NHL career without losing a tooth. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is not the way I'm going to lose a tooth. So obviously it has not happened yet. So we'll knock on that one. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I definitely, that's, it's come across the mind a few times. It has been an incredible year for this team. And 
all the things they've accomplished during the season, being the third worst team last year, that being the Seattle Kraken, and coming back and getting 100 points this year. Um, they get into the playoffs. They've made noise. They've made history. In your eyes, what has been the biggest turnaround from last season to this year? You know, I think uh, the offseason moves definitely help. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, the position Seattle put themselves in, whether, you know, you're looking at the expansion draft and making some moves at the year one's trade deadline, um, really put them in a real good spot this summer to, to land, you know, a couple of players that definitely have helped the team. But if you look at, uh, you know, how they play, I think you've even going towards year one and the the end of the year, you could see them starting to figure out, starting to play together, starting to gel so that, you know, going into year two, you add a couple of pieces and, you know, for good on them for fitting right. Cause you never know, mm -hmm. you see it all the time, you know, we're going to get this player, but it ended up just not working. Well, for Seattle, it's worked and their mindset from day one, you know, obviously they've been a hardworking team that hasn't changed you go through the system wise and now they're starting to understand and starting to read each other. I mean, you know, as a hockey player, how important it is to be able to have that be second nature and not be thinking about, you know, Hey, we're going into a, a whole new team with all new players. Maybe some played together, but not, mm -hmm. you know, as a collective together and you're seeing what they're doing. They're not thinking anymore. It's second nature to them being out on the ice and I know what uh I know what you're going to do before you even get the puck mm -hmm. and you can see that chemistry and the connections you know from top line down to your fourth line deep pairing one to deep pairing three like that's been something that's been fun to watch and to see that connection not just on one line not just on the guys who were on the team last year and this year but even when you pull in new guys that they're all buying in that they're understand that process and they're going through it together i mean for me again obviously you love seeing that that, that quick turnaround uh it, it's been fun to watch but again you just watch that chemistry and how they've been able to just click right from the get-go we could go down the entire list of guys that are on the active roster guys that are hurt guys that are in the minor leagues players that have made a, cer a certain contribution to the seattle kraken over the course of this year and you know as well as anybody from season to season, you're going to need a lot of guys. It's never just the 20 guys that are on your roster or just the 18 skaters that are that are going on night-to-night -night basis. Um, I'm going to make it hard on you, and I'm going to ask for one player this year that you thought made the greatest impact. Now, I know that is a loaded question. We, Like I said, we could go down the list and say, this guy had a great season, that guy had a great season. But if you had to pick one player on this roster that you thought maybe exceeded expectation or just had one of the biggest impacts on this team – who would that be and why? Can I go quickly and pick one forward, one defenseman? Do it. Okay. So on the defense side, uh, I think you got you to gotta go with Vince Dunn. You look at the, the strides that he made from last year into this year, and it's the consistency, right? Like, he was good. He had a lot of plenty of good games and great games last year, but it's the consistency of he was putting them together. I think, what did he have, 11-game point streak this year? Like, Team record, yeah. And he's able to... He's had a couple of those longer streaks too where he's been consistent playing obviously with adam larson all year it helps he knows what adam larson can do adam larson knows what he's going to do on the ice so that's definitely helped but if you look at the jump from last year this year the power play minutes getting out there um you know having that confidence and then on the forward side that it, it's a tough one 
I think it's hard not to pick Jared McCann and the, the year that he had, but I am not going to pick Jared McCann mm-hmm. in the year he had. I'm going to pick Matty Beniers. Um, obviously, he got a nine game. Was it nine? Yeah, nine, ten games last year. Little, Just a little snippet of what he could do. Ten games. Yep. Obviously. Yeah. Ten games, nine points. See, I knew to see the nine yeah. and ten they yeah, were there. It is confusing. Uh, no, but like, then you go into this year and you get a full season. Yeah as a rookie to be able to do what he's done, obviously playing heavy minutes, crucial situations, being out there on the power play, but uh, his defensive uh, defensive mindset too, not just only thinking about that offensive end, obviously put up some really good numbers. My vote, which don't have a vote, but my vote for rookie of the year in no the question. NHL should be Maddie Benier. So it's hard for me not to pick him as making that contribution and obviously we didn't get a long period of time with him last year but you know for him to continue doing what he did last year into a you know a full NHL season um, you know it was special and not easy to do especially being young and you know your first full NHL season and and you know to a degree situations are different but you know what it's like going from college to the NHL similar to what he did like I said situations are a little bit different what's that transition like that's quick. I mean, you you find out. I'll I'll tell you my wake up moment. Uh, quickly, it was I got hit by Dustin Bufflin. Oh boy, yeah, that's a train. Yeah, I was like, oh, oh we're not. This isn't college anymore. There's nobody who is playing like that can move. Could be his size. Have yeah. the hands that he has. Skate like he does. Now, obviously, he's a, a different. He's on his own when it comes <laughs> to that. The guy's a. I I love Dustin. He's a yeah. good dude. But yeah. he hit me and. He also took it easy on me because I trained with him. I skated with him in the summer. He didn't even hit me that hard. And I was like, oh, boy, we're, we're, this is the National Hockey League. This isn't, the league. Yeah, this isn't college yeah. anymore. And you kind of always have that moment, right? But it also reminded me, I'm like, all right, you know what? I got to be in the gym even more next summer because I just got hit by him one. I only played five games my first year. I'm like, okay, so for 82 games, like you got to be ready for this. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was kind of my moment. Like everyone, whether – you know they have it or they look back and they find it but you know for him to be able to jump in the speed is so much faster you don't have as much time to make those decisions and the difference between you know say one through four in college is a lot wider than one through four in the national hockey league you're getting the best players in the world mm-hmm. on a nightly basis and for him to continue to perform not be shied in the situations and you go through obviously that first game wild you know you have the nerves you have you know this is what you've worked your life for but to continue to put in that work in the summer so that your first full year is as successful as it has been you know you got to give them all the credit i said this i think it was one of our first shows and this was a real big leap of faith before he even played this whole season and i talked about this in one of the 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 preseason shows that we did on route and just looking at Matty Benier's 200-foot game, um, you can feel free to comment on this or not, but I really think that as good of a 200-foot player as he's been this year, and if that continues to grow, I would not be surprised at one time or another in his career he might be considered one of the best defensive forwards in the league, could be even a Selkie trophy in his future. Um, how important is that in the fabric of his game in your mind? Because, look, there have been stretches for Matty this year where the points haven't been there. But the 200 foot game has. Yeah, no, that's a that's exactly what I was going to say. There, like, there's going to come times where you're not on the score sheet for the goal or the assist, but 
he's always making an impact. If you have a 200-foot game, you're always making that impact on the game. Yes, it might not show up on the score sheet. I don't think you're wrong. I think that's a great take. Um, I still go back to, you know, watching those first couple of games and, you know, you get the questions like, hey, what do you think he's going to do here? What he's going to do? I'm like, I don't know because that's I, – I don't tell the future. I don't see. But what I can tell is he's smart enough to play. Can't always tell if he's going to be a 40-goal or 50-goal scorer, but I can tell you the guy has smarts, and he's showing it nightly, whether it's his reads on the back check, his commitment to getting that 200-foot game all the way down, starting the forecheck the other way, and you can tell pretty quickly if the guy has the smarts, and without a doubt, he's smart enough to play this game. We've saw it all year, but that contributes to that 200-foot game and his reads that he makes out there on the ice. And he's getting a, a great taste of what the playoffs are like right oh, yeah. now. And oh, yeah. with that, I, I want to tap into your playoff experience. You played 41 games of playoff hockey, including that incredible run in 2015 with the Tampa Bay Lightning where you played 24 games in the postseason that year. To put it simply, what is playoff hockey like? It's physical. It's intense. Um it's it's hard. I mean, it is hard to explain, but it, when you play the same team potentially seven times in a row, it's hard. It is a grind, and I think the, the hardest part about the playoffs, not only is the physical part hard, but it's the mental part. It's going, for the most part, every other day you might get an extra day break in there, but you're playing a lot of hockey against the same team, and then you got to go, if you win, you got to turn around, shut that switch off. Yeah, hey, congrats, we won the first round. Well, now we're on round two. And if you go to round two, you got to do it again for round three. So staying mentally locked in, mentally prepared, because we know the stakes are very high in the playoffs. One mistake could be the win or loss. Well, in the regular season, it's still the same way, but you got another game to play mm -hmm. just to get to the playoffs. You could be going home because of one mistake. So it's the mental side of the game. Uh, obviously, it ends up being a long stretch if you if you make that whole run, but it's worth it. It's worth every minute. It's worth every ice bag, you know, every block shot you have, every hit you take, every hit you give out. Physically, it's demanding on you. Mentally, it's demanding on you, but there's nothing better. The composure of this team facing some of the adversity that they have, not just all year, but especially in the playoffs. How impressed have you been with the collective unit showing that composure through the ups and downs of a playoff series? Well, I mean, it, it's been fantastic. Uh, you know, it, that goes to the leadership in the room, uh, obviously the culture staff as well. But uh, Seattle has players that have been in the position, right, that have won the Stanley Cup, that have made runs, have played those games. And I think that's so important because you can get caught in the ups and downs. If we go back to, to game one, you have the two-goal lead it goes away. You're on your heels for the majority of the third period because Dallas is pressing. Could have been very easy to not have the composure to to go out and you know what? Oh man, we're the moment's too big right now. It's not. Get to overtime, go back in the room, you reset and they come back out with that mentality. They end up getting the win anyways, but for the most part, you see the ups and downs. You can see how they handle it and how they've been able to respond when a team scores a goal, whether it was Colorado or whether it was uh, you know Dallas game one. Even the push in game two towards the end and a guy like Everly comes up clutch with the, the goal to bring it within two. Um, the composure's there. I think that, again, great job by 
the staff, you know, obviously bringing in the right players, coaching staff as well. And then you look at the players themselves because at the end of the day, coaches can say a whole lot, but at the end of the day, it's got to come from the room. Mm -hmm. That experience comes from guys that have been there and done it. You got seven Stanley Cup champions in that dressing room, three guys that have won multiple cups. So though they maybe haven't made a run together, they got guys in that room that knows that know what it takes without a doubt. Uh, in your mind, what do you think is the biggest thing that they learned from that Colorado series win to beating the reigning defending Stanley Cup champions and something that they can bring into this? I know we're two games into the Dallas series, but um, with that being said, what was something you thought they maybe learned in the Colorado series? You know, I won't necessarily say I think it's uh, an a learned thing, but I think they already had the belief. Uh, if you listen to anybody talk, obviously don't care what the outside noise says, but I think beating the defending Stanley Cup champions, it definitely solidifies that. Obviously, you I know that they believe in that locker room, but now you've taken out the team that won it last year. So I think that gives you that confidence. Um, they're able to show that they can play with anybody. They did throughout the regular season as well. Well, will they be able to do it in the playoffs? Well, they did. They showed it. They proved it. And again, I think it's just solidifying that. And again, I just watched the forecheck in the, the Colorado series. You look at it in game one versus Dallas two. They play like that. They're going to give anybody trouble. doesn't matter. And they have that belief. And taking down the defending champs definitely, you know, solidifies that one in. Watching game two last night and, and looking ahead, um, what would you think of game two? Um, you know, you spoke a little bit to game one, but, uh, you know, what'd you, what were your thoughts on, on game two against Dallas? And then, you know, looking forward to games three and four at Climate Pledge Arena. Yeah, no, I think they, they had their, their moments within the game. I, you know, it's, we always talk about a 60-minute game, and I always laugh because it's kind of hard to play a 60-minute game. Because at the end of the yeah. day, the team's going to push back. There's going to yeah. be times where the other team has a puck. But they, yeah. I think they were on their heels a little bit. I think Dallas came out, you know, they didn't, weren't happy they lost. They pushed in the first period. Uh, Seattle was able to get a little pushback. But, you know, for me, I look at the, the penalties. Uh, you got to be disciplined in the – whether you agree with the calls or not, not able to speak on that too much, right? Mm -hmm. You know, hey, someone's going to disagree at all times, yeah. but you still put yourself in, you know, in that position, and they have a great power play. Only one credited uh, power play goal, but the, you know, in my mind too, because guy gets out the box, right. not able to get in the play. Right. Technicality, obviously, the stats will say one. So mm -hmm. you got to be a little bit more disciplined against the team, and then uh, you know, get that four check rolling. They, I didn't think they got a lot of zone time you know, continued zone time and then too many easy exits for, for Dallas. And that's, you know, feeds their transition that helps them get moving, uh, you know, up the ice. So definitely there were some times, I think the, especially first period didn't have uh, as many shots as you'd like to passing up a few opportunities. Uh, you know, it's just, you got to play desperate at all times, obviously mentally fatiguing, it's physically fatiguing, but I think there was push. I think they showed their fight, you know, at, at times, but at, you know, at the time there's another team out there give Dallas credit they played us themselves a really good game and this is why it's not a race to three it's not you got you got to win four mm -hmm. you're not just playing to who's going to win the best of three series the best of five it's the best of seven so you got to be able to do this over the course of an entire series Seattle did their job got one on the road now you have home ice advantage going into what is now a best of five series. So at the end of the day, you, you don't want to over change things because of game two. It's just one game. 
but obviously their bread and butter all year has been the forecheck and it just didn't seem like they were able to get that going yeah phenomenal insight jt thank you so much uh for your uh, kind words and everything uh, that you uh, that you taught all of our uh, all of us today. Uh, to end, I did want to give a couple of uh, rapid fire uh, words. Okay, um, this is something new we're doing for the first time, so oh. I wanted to save something special for you. Okay, okay. Uh, I just okay. thought of this the other day, uh, so I'm going to give you a word, or sometimes it's more than one word, and I want a would like a one word response of what you think about this. What I ask you. Okay. Okay. You ready? Yes. All right. Seattle. Kraken. Minnesota. Winter. Hockey. Puck. Fortnite. Oh, well, Rapscallion. Call of Duty. <laughs> I don't know that. Well, the word, never mind, I can't, I'm going to have to go to a secondary one. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with the uh, slide cancel. John Forsland. <laughs> uh, legend. Eddie Olchek. Legend. <laughs> John Forsland and Eddie Olchek. I'm going to change the one. The second thing that came to my mind when Eddie Olchek came okay. up was ice cream. Okay. John Forsland and Eddie Olchek. Crazy. Lily Brown. Double crazy. <laughs> Booker Brown. Uh... <laughs> Mm. I'll say, I don't I can't chirp my kids. Uh, you know what? Lily, Lily is, she's a, she's a well, wild feel, child. Feel, she's a wild child. You can uh, use more than one word. Booker. For the kids. He's my gamer. Yeah. Awesome. Minnesota high school hockey. The best. Playoff hockey in the National Hockey League. There's nothing like it. It is so one word, but irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. Yanni Gord. Oh, uh, he is a gnat. You know, he's a little annoying. Just get away from me. Like, why are you, why do you keep getting on the forecheck? Why is this, you know, when they're all around your head, they're just oh, yeah. buzzing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's my word for him. Kraken fans. The best in the NHL. And Can't last, just use one. No, of course. And last but not least, the Stanley Cup. The ultimate prize. That I never got to touch. <laughs> it's okay, JT. You had a hell of a career. <laughs> no, thank you. No. Hey, thanks for coming on, buddy. This was, this was a lot of fun. A lot of people learned some great things about you, and uh, obviously your insight with the team and everything. So appreciate your time, and uh, enjoy the rest of the ride, buddy. Oh, thank you. Obviously, uh, you know, anytime, anytime. You don't gotta, it doesn't have to be six, seven. You know, you want to <laughs> wait like 20 or 30 episodes. That's fine. But, you know, I'll, I'll come back on anytime you want. All right, JT. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Signals from the Deep is the official podcast of the Seattle Kraken. Hosted by Nick Olchek and produced by me, Grant Beery. Have a question for Nick? Leave a voicemail on the Signals from the Deep hotline at 206-279-7810 or send an email to signals at seattlekraken.com. Your question could be featured on an upcoming episode. 